1: Hi, welcome to the Interview with Hugh Hewitt, a podcast of the smartest people talking about the most important subjects at length with me, Hugh Hewitt. It's brought to you by andrewandtodd.com. They are mortgage lenders with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. 888-1172 or visit their website, andrewandtodd.com. They support serious conversations with serious people, and I thank them for their sponsorship. Now, to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. The interview with you, Hewitt, today is with Doctor Michael Oren, who we find in Israel. Israel under attack. Indeed, only minutes ago, the Israeli Defense Forces bombed a Hamas team preparing to launch an, un- ar- an unmanned armed aerial vehicle from the Gaza Strip.
0: Doctor Oren, good morning. Are you safe? I'm safe. Um, Israel, you know, for the most part, is safe. It was quite a night. You. I don't know if you received the videos I sent you.
1: I did. And we will show those, I hope, later in the program. I also watched the video presentation you made to the Jewish Agency yesterday. But for this audience this morning, since American news is transfixed by old stories about former presidents, tell us what is going on, because it sure looks like a war to me.
0: Yeah, it looks like the first day of a war. Uh, We've had several wars very, very similar in the past. It begins with Hamas firing rockets at our cities. We fire back. We bomb. We bomb. Um, The world condemns us for war crimes, for um, ca- causing casualties among Palestinians who are being used as human shields by Hamas. Hamas knows how to manipulate the media uh, so they can manipulate world opinion. And, and then the war ends. Um, uh, Israelis are tired of this. They're tired of this round after round. Uh, we don't see the government providing us with any, any answer. Um, and the only answer is, is not an easy answer, having said that. It means sending the army into Gaza uh, at great cost, uh, both in human cost as well as uh, economic and diplomatic costs um, but ending this you know this, this cycle which just keeps you know ending in the same way, which is inconclusively in enabling Hamas to retain its rule in Gaza and to prepare for the next round.
1: Now, before we go to whether or not politics in Israel has in any way contributed to this situation, can you describe for the audience that may only be watching American cable news, what is going on? I mean, in Lod last night, there was what I would call a race riot in the United States. The mayor of Lod called it crystal knocked, which is a little, I
0: mean, bracing to see. What happened there? Well, it's a tremendous, tremendous blow uh, to Israelis. And I would include myself among them who believe that there's a future of coexistence between with us, uh, Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs. Um, and, and this is one of the many uh, mixed towns uh, in Israel. Lord, I live in a mixed town of Jaffa, uh, which was quiet last night. Um, and all of a sudden, the Arab residents of uh, Lod turned on the Jewish residents. They burnt synagogues. They burnt three synagogues. It happened also in the ancient city of, uh, of Akko, uh, where they burned one of Israel's greatest restaurants, <laughs> Buri Buri, uh, whose owner has made, he's, he's dedicated his life to training young Arabs from poor neighborhoods how to be sous chefs and has actually been invited to the White House uh, to serve there, to cook for the for the president. Um, they burnt it. They burnt it to the ground. It, it's terribly, terribly tragic, terribly tragic uh, for Israel generally, but in particular, it's tragic for Israeli Arabs. It, it sets them back years. You know, Michael, when you say that,
1: I remember the Stadt Temple in Vienna. I went there because of a Daniel Silva novel, and it's been restored since the Nazis uh, destroyed it because it, they didn't burn it to the ground because it was in an apartment building. But it's also been the sign of a terrorist attack. That is truly a ferocious attack that's deeply rooted in anti-Semitism, to go after someone's houses of worship.
0: And, and, and that's just one, but but, but three. And, and one of the definitions of, of, of Zionism, you is, is that the Jews could have a – we could have a country and a place where synagogues wouldn't be burned. Um so it's, Lutt is in the dead center of this country, the heart of the country, uh, and so uh, we are literally left speechless like this. You know, we've had rockets before. Uh, we know how to deal with them. Uh, we know how to deal with them militarily. We know how to deal with them emotionally. Um, this, uh, these riots, this destructive this vandalism, this anti-Semitism, uh, has left us all very shaken.
1: I am curious if you believe, and we're not rushing today, Dr. Oren, uh, and for the benefit of the audience, Dr. Oren is the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, former deputy minister in the last permanent Netanyahu government. Uh, he has not been part of the interim government since the onslaught of elections, um, been not being an observer and a commentator. His website is drmichaeloren.com. I am curious if, if you believe that the cycle of political instability contributed to this in
0: any way. I do. I think that Hamas internalized um, a certain political weakness here, um, a difficulty at decision-making, and and exploited it. And I've been saying this, uh, certainly in the Israeli press, for two years, that our inability to form a government actually has strategic ramifications and carries with it uh, dangers. Uh, Because if Hamas is realizing this weakness, uh, so too are more formidable enemies like Iran.
1: By the way, speaking of Iran, uh, Hamas is firing anti-tank missiles at civilian cars and individuals. Where do they get anti-tank missiles from? Well, they get it
0: all from Iran. The uh, vast majority of rockets that are fired at us are made in Iran. And uh, one of the benefits of the uh, of the Abraham Accords, our signing a peace treaty with Sudan, is that previously these rockets had been smuggled through Sudan, across the desert. Um, and hopefully that route has been closed off, and what they're firing off now are the you know, the backlog of rockets. But uh, Iran is a major, major backer of Hamas, and Iran is the exclusive owner uh, of Islamic Jihad. So so tell me
1: about anti-tank weapons. The last time I read about anti-tank weapons, it's either in your book uh, uh, about Yom Kippur War or about the other one, Rabinovich's book, where anti-tank weapons were the crucial change agent when the United States, Nixon said, send everything that can fly. It was mostly anti-tank weapons that were needed how important are they? Do they ship battlefield tactics at all?
0: No, they don't, because not in terms of our own tanks. Our tanks we have developed a technology that renders our tanks almost invulnerable to anti tank rockets. But this wasn't, you know, it wasn't a tank, a civilian vehicle, and these are are largely you know, either Iranian or Russian made uh, anti tank missiles. You know, it's easy; you pick out a bus and you pull the trigger, and, and and the rocket hits. Um, and you know, it has the, it has armor piercing uh, capabilities. Um, but there's no armor on the bus. So it's just going to go in there and blow up.
1: So I also read yesterday, I'm reading obsessively about this. Again, there's a news vacuum in the United States here. India's catastrophe and the war in Israel are the two most important stories, and they're not being covered. Uh, I, I read yesterday that Hamas had a special forces commando group in a tunnel that the IDF destroyed. How does Hamas have special forces? What does that even mean? Do they, are they real special forces? Yeah, I,
0: I, yes, they do have special forces, and many of them are trained by Turkey. Um, and so, you know, I don't know how they, you know, stand up to Delta Force or Team Seal Six or our own at Montcal, but they're they're specially trained, uh, usually by the Turks. Uh, the bigger question for Israelis is not whether Hamas why Hamas has commandos, but why Hamas would have another tunnel. Um, now, where that tunnel was, Kanzar was nowhere near the border because we've developed technology that detects uh, underground tunnel digging. Um, but the fact that it even had the tunnel still, um, where supposedly we had eliminated all these tunnels, what can I say? It was a less than pleasant surprise.
1: I watched the knock-knock video. Israel sent a small missile to hit the top of an apartment building, and then 13 stories, then told everyone to get out, and they really mean it because of the knock-knock, and then they leveled it. This has struck the international community as punitive. Not me, I understand, who's in that building. Will it be repeated, do you think, and what do you think of the international response?
0: Well, it's going to be repeated, and frankly, the heck with the international response. What is it designed to do? We have an enemy, Hamas, uh, that hides behind civilians. Why can't we eliminate the chiefs of Hamas? Because they're hiding in these hospitals, they're hiding in these schools. They're deeply embedded in the civilian population. So we want to give those civilians uh, a chance to, 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 to get away from the area that we intend to hit. And by the way, that, that carries with it a tremendous a tactical price because basically we're warning everybody. Um, it, 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 sometimes I think it's even miraculous that we do manage to eliminate some of the Hamas commanders um, but we do this we do this for diplomatic reasons to li- limit the, the number of casualties but above all we do it for moral reasons because we would like to think of the IDF being the most moral army in the world and if we can avoid civilian casualties we will take all possible reasonable measures to do so. Reasonable has to be, be gauged against the damage and death that's being inflicted by those Hamas commanders on our own population.
1: Now, Dr. Oren, when uh, a Gaza invasion uh, is imminent, the IDF mobilizes. I saw that Defense Minister Gantz called up 5,000. That's not tantamount to what you need to invade Gaza. Uh, Has additional... Have additional orders been given? Is the IDF mobilization anything of the sort that you would expect to precede an actual invasion of Gaza? Uh, No, it's not.
0: Um, uh, Invasion, any type of ground operation, anything between 50 and 70,000 soldiers. Um, And we have them. Um, The IDF is more than twice as large as the British and French armies combined. I heard you say Um, that yesterday. I couldn't believe it. It's twice as large as the British and French armies combined. More than twice as large. <laughs> and by the way, those armies are getting smaller because the, the army that Britain fields today is smaller than the one that Wellington fielded at Waterloo. Okay, but um, yes, okay, but that is, that is including our, our our reserves, our active reserves. And so w- we have very large reserves, so calling up fifty seventy thousand uh, 70,000 is quite doable, and that's what you need to start uh, undertaking any major ground action in Gaza.
1: And would that be... Uh uh, broadcast. Would we know that that was coming? Because that is, to my way of thinking, a precursor for an actual ground invasion.
0: Yeah, but you can see much larger and You see a buildup along the border. Um, one of the indicators you've seen is the the um, the deployment of 155 millimeter uh, mobilized guns. Um, you know, these are basically large range, long range uh, Tom Toms, long Toms placed atop uh, tank chassis. And uh, that is usually a precursor to some type of ground action. Right now, they're being used to keep the uh, border area clear of any possible terrorist activity. So they're keeping up sort of a, a constant drizzle of 155 millimeter shell. And you don't want to be under one of these shells, these are huge shells, um, to make sure that the border area is clear.
1: Uh, put on your historian hat for me for a moment, uh, your power, faith, and fantasy hat. That's your great best-selling book on the Middle East and America. Did uh, then-Prime Minister Sharon make a mistake by dismantling the settlements in Gaza?
0: I think he made a mistake by dismantling all of them. Um, many, some of them didn't have to be dismantled, um, and we could have kept a, a deployment around uh, Gaza. We didn't have to. Sharon was absolutely adamant in moving back to the last uh, millimeter. Um, and the, the basic assumption was at that time that the Palestinians would then use this opportunity to create a peaceful mini-state next door, and that would be sort of a, an embryonic state uh, for what could be a larger Palestinian state in the West Bank as well. Um, it, it, none of it planned out. You know, you know about the about the greenhouses, you?
1: Yes, they destroyed the greenhouses you left behind that were supposed to be the backbone of a new Gaza infrastructure for agriculture.
0: Paid for by by American Jewish donors, by the way, and uh, yep, and they destroyed them, <laughs> and I think that I think that was a a good adumbration of everything that was going to come later uh, in the Gaza Strip.
1: So uh, that's that that's apropos of being I'm just sort of a well-informed American goy. Right. I just try and follow this. But I have no idea about what's going on on the northern border. I've ser- the, the two sources I have are the Times of Israel and the Jerusalem Post, because I can't yeah. read Haretz because I won't pay for Haretz and I can't even pronounce it. But what's going on on the <laughs>
0: northern border?
1: Are you afraid of it? the northern border at this moment? Not afraid, but um, watching no. it.
0: You now, we have to be vigilant all the time. And then clearly uh, the Iranians are enjoying this. And uh, you know, one, of the, the, one of the considerations that the Israeli government has to make, whether to mount uh, major ground operations, is the degree to which this will then uh, let Iran off the hook, um, whether in Syria, where, as you know, the IDF is, is very active in preventing Iran from establishing Syria as kind of a forward military base against us, uh, detract the world attention from what's going on in Vienna and the attempts to renew the disastrous JCPOA. Um, Iranians have a lot of interests here, and we have to be very, very careful uh, not to play to those interests.
1: Now, and in, back to Israeli politics, the uh, criticism this morning from Naftali Bennett, for the benefit of American listeners, he is one of the anti-Netanyahu coalition who appeared on the brink of joining a coalition that would displace Netanyahu from the prime minister's role. Bennett criticized Netanyahu today. Is that politics or is that rooted in reality?
0: Eh, I think there's always – no one's going to be able to run a, a, a war or a situation like this perfectly, perfect by definition. But there are a lot of politics, and one of the big uh, you know, conspiracy theories circulating, and I've heard it from very educated people, is that this is all the work of Benjamin Netanyahu. That's what yeah. he do, okay. <laughs> according to the conspiracy theorists, and I want, I want to be very, very uh, expressed to say that this is not my theory. It's not mine either. I want to, I'm scornful
1: of this, but go ahead and tell people, because they may see it on their social media. I have seen it, too.
0: Uh, so here's what it goes like this. It so goes something like this. Um, Netanyahu was afraid that Bennett and the other anti-BB uh, parties would get together and form a government that would get to be around 58 seats. They still needed three more seats, so the three seats would come from the Arab parties, uh, either Ram, the Islamic uh, Fundamentalist Party, which had broken away from the major Arab list or parts of the Arab list itself, so it would be supported either, you know, actively within the government or outside the government by Arab votes. So by, by precipitating a conflict with Hamas, it forced those Arab parties to come out and support Hamas, and create a situation where Naftali Bennett and Gedalim Sar, both of whom come from the political right, could not uh, possibly enter into a negotiation or into a government with the Arab parties. And the Arab parties themselves, in turn, could not enter into a government with the Israeli right-wing parties. Uh, So this has all been the work of Benjamin Netanyahu. But that is indeed a conspiracy theory. That's a fever dream.
1: Now tell me about the reality. Uh, When when this began, and it began on the Temple Mount with riots, and it spread to rockets, and now it spread to uprisings uh, uh, among Arab Israelis against Jewish Israelis. Ra'am uh, was on the brink of supporting uh, a coalition of anti-Netanyahu people. Ram's leader broke that off. Do you think it remains possible that a Hamas-friendly party can now support a government in Israel without extraordinary blowback to that coalition?
0: Um, not for a long time. You have to, you have to rely on short memory spans, but that this all is too fresh and keep in mind that we're up against the clock that the, the anti-BB, uh, parties had 21 days to put together government and that clock has now been going and they don't seem any closer today than they were, like they seem significantly further away than they were uh, before the outbreak of this last round of fighting.
1: Have they had any more defectors? There was one defector from Yemen, uh, Bennett's party, uh, because of the participation of the Islamists in supporting the government, have there been other defectors?
0: There's one is wavering. But yeah, I think now it's almost a moot point now. I just don't think it's going to happen. There's just not enough time. And we don't know how long this is going to play out. You know, our, our previous uh, conflicts with Hamas or with Hezbollah have, have often gone on for weeks.
1: Would Bennett and... Other members of the conservative group say we're in a war, we will go support Netanyahu and withdraw it and trigger elections when this is over?
0: I think it would have to be much more of a ground operation, more complex. Something that would resemble uh, 2014, um, um, and which was a, a full-blown uh, war, though we, we, the army only went in the sort depths of, depth of you know, several kilometers into Gaza. It didn't actually go all the way into Gaza, it didn't go into the major cities. Um It would have to be something like that. But here, again, the absence of a a stable government um, means that when that government makes a decision to send uh, Israeli young people into battle, it has to have legitimacy because some of those soldiers aren't coming home. And the government's going to have to look into the eyes of the bereaved family and say, we did this as the legitimately democratically uh, elected government of Israel. And – Nobody can say that right now. You know, six
1: Israeli citizens, I try and explain to Americans, that is not like six United States citizens, which would be a t- awful death toll anyway. It's, it's far more significant. It's likely to get larger. Is there any pressure <sighs> building to everybody, uh, you know, like World War I in Britain or other past crises in Israel, that you just do a coalition government of everybody all ali, and free because this is a significant peril?
0: We're not there yet, as we heard from Bennett this morning. We're not there yet, and um, the fact that Bennett, you know, felt that he had political leeway to make that kind of criticism of the prime minister shows you that we're not at a full-blown crisis yet. We're in a crisis, but it's, uh, it's a long way from what it was, say in 2006, where we were being hit by about 300 Hezbollah rockets a day, or 2008, 2014. We've had a lot of rounds of these things. Um, where the do they tend to has, go exponential?
1: Not- uh, because, because to me, I watch the first day, and I want to see if it increases the second day. This has gone up every day, but not exponentially. If it goes up exponentially,
0: how rapidly does that occur? Yeah, it's you know Hamas is not Hezbollah. Hezbollah may have hundred fifty thousand rockets, and it has an unlimited supply of rockets to Iran. Uh, Hamas probably has between uh, ten and fifteen thousand rockets. And it has almost no way of resupplying. Many of these rockets are now being made in Gaza itself, so, so they are going to husband. <laughs> they're going to to hold back as much as they can. They're not going to uh, empty their magazines overnight. Um, so if they want, if they're planning on a drawn out, uh, you know, protracted conflict, they're going to have to, you know, keep it down to something in the order of a hundred a day.
1: Now, can Hamas de-escalate, Dr. Oren? Because once it becomes an intra-Israel conflict, as it did in Lod last night, I wonder about Hamas's ability to control the tempo of the fighting and to back away when the cost is too high for them.
0: I, I believe it can't. Even for breakaway organizations like Islamic Jihad, which are controlled by Iran, uh, I think it can But But um, the, the issue is, you know, Hamas has an interest in, in, I know this is, sounds so counterintuitive for a Western audience. They have an interest in looking as if they've been smashed. That, that is gets them credit on the street. Yes, i I'll give you a quick story. Uh, the man who is now Israel's national security advisor, uh, Mayor Ben Shabbat, was once the southern commander of the Shabbat, our FBI. And when I was working, I was in charge of the Gaza situation for the Israeli government. I went down and spent a day with him. and He showed me a photograph of Ismail Haniyeh, one of the leaders of Hamas, uh, standing on top of a pile of rubble, what it had been a house. And he's making a victory sign, the v side with, ha- with his hands. And Mayor Ben Shabbat asked me, is, is, is that a victory poster or a defeat poster?
1: Huh.
0: And I said, You know, of course it's defeat. He's on top of these debris. There's nothing left of the house. He says, No, that's when you don't get it. He says, That for Hamas is an image of victory. Because there's the leader of Hamas still standing on the bubble. The bubble is a sign of honor, means that they stood up for the Palestinian cause. And he's undefeated. He's up there giving the victory sign. So, you know, it's so, a victory poster. So yesterday, the
1: uh, correspondent who I follow, I, I can't remember her name right now. She was in a, in a bomb shelter with her two children for the first time with her husband, talking about bomb shelter protocols with young people. How much of the country are in bomb shelters right now?
0: Um. I don't actually have a statistic. It, usually, it's in my neighborhood, which is sort of a middle-class neighborhood, even an upper-middle-class neighborhood, we have bomb shelters in our own homes. So, um, you know, I, that's where I was last night. But, uh, you know, in other neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, they have they have either building uh, bomb shelters or they have um, or they have um, you know uh, neighborhood bomb shelters in schools at the end of the streets.
1: Okay, two more questions. Two more questions, Doctor. One of them is: Is there an incident level that automatically triggers the IDF? I mean, six dead is six dead. If one of those rockets hits a hospital or something, does that automatically go to DEFCON one? It does. Uh, though most of our
0: hospitals, you know, have underground operating theaters now,
1: precisely for this reason. Um, so,
0: yes, yeah. There's, there's always that wild card.
1: All right, last question, the American response. In the uh, uh, Times of Israel today, there's a columnist saying Biden is trying to please everyone and is not pleasing anyone. Meanwhile, the era, uh, the Abraham Accord partners are kind of wavering, in my view. Not the UAE, but Bahrain was critical. What is the situation with the U.S. and your Abraham Accord partners?
0: I think with the Abraham partners, I think that the, the Hamas has overplayed its hand. As long as they were focused on Jerusalem, that created a difficult situation for our our Muslim allies. Um, but once they started firing at Tel Aviv and Ashkar and thought they lost them. They lost them. There's no support for Hamas, zero, um, among our Abraham Accord partners. Uh, with the with the Biden administration, you know, the moral equivalency calling on all sides to to de escalate um, only encourages, I believe, or covers the Hamas, saying, Look, I'm getting attention from the administration, I'm getting the administration to put pressure on Israel. That's a victory for them. And I think that uh, I wish that, you know, cooler heads would prevail.
1: Okay. Uh, by the way, has CNN called you? Has any
0: American outlet called Dr. I, Michael Oren? I, I, I was on CNN this morning, and I'll be on again this afternoon. All
1: right. That is great news. Dr. Michael Oren, okay. we'll check in with you tomorrow. Thank you for your Always. time. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. It, it's busy over there, as you can obviously tell. Dr. Michael Oren is the guy to go to, former Israeli ambassador to the United States. Um, and there simply is no way to quantify risk. In a situation like this, but all I can tell you, given the near complete blackout in the American media of what's going on there, visit timesofisrael.com and jpost.com for updates. Uh, that is where an English speaking uh, observer gets their best news from Israel timesofisrael.com, jpost.com, uh, without subscribing. Uh, neither of those require an investment you can go there and be as informed as any other American or any other non-Hebrew-speaking individual who can't read that. Uh, I'll continue to follow it throughout the days and weeks ahead, and hopefully it's days, not weeks, and hopefully there aren't any updates beyond those which suggest the tensions of East. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.